This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones, and making his Royal Blue Podcast debut, Paul Wheelock. Very well, welcome, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Um, it is Arsenal on Sunday, four o'clock kickoff at the Emirates Stadium. Before we get into the doom and gloom of a truly horrendous run of results that Everton have been on uh, in that part of London, Preno, you were there in 1996 when we actually won. It's worrying, isn't it? You've got to ask the uh, the oldest man in the room by some way uh, for the last time Everton won at Arsenal. Never won at the Emirates ever, uh, but this was Highbury, which was a gorgeous old stadium. Loved that place. And uh, yeah, I remember it very, very well. Um, Graham Stewart, I think, went round David Seaman uh, to score the equaliser. I'm not sure whether who scored for Arsenal. Probably Ian Wright, because he always did back then. And then uh, Andre Konchelskis, as he did so regularly, uh, scored the winning goal. And if I remember rightly, it was an era when we had a, a reasonable little run of uh, decent results at Highbury. I remember uh, Dave Watson absolutely leathering one in with his left foot from 20 yards uh, to get a one-all draw a year or so, you know, either side of that. Um, but as you say, a long, long time ago, and um, it needs to change because we're getting a bit sick and tired of all these, uh, you know, grounds that are formidable places to visit that we never do well at. Stamford Bridge being one of them, not even mentioning the place across the park or, you know, Old Trafford. It, it's just, it needs to end. And, you know, all right, Arsenal are on a decent run of form, but, you know, Everton have got players available again this weekend. You know, got to go there and uh, show that they can produce something. Joe Roy, always sat around here, Brennan. What would he say is the key to going to somewhere like Arsenal and getting, getting the points? I think a lot of it is mindset. I think you've got to have this confidence that you're going to go there and take the game to them. We know Arsenal you know, play an expansive style of football. We know they're going to try and take the game to Everton, but you've got to try and match that. You can't... Uh, don't want to use this in a critical way, but, you know, take the David Moyes approach of, you know, damage limitation, go there and try and upset the, the game plan. Because, uh, you know, I've got a lot of time for David Moyes, but although his record at some of the bigger grounds, you know, so it wasn't great. But I think you've just got to go with the confidence that you can achieve a result there. It's happened, you know, in the Premier League in recent years where teams have gone to Stamford Bridge, gone to Old Trafford, you know, so, and scored surprise wins. Everton shouldn't really be a surprise win going to places like that, given you know, the investments and the, the stature of the club. So mindset, just go there believing that you can get a result. Uh, you know, be on the front foot, be positive. And I think we've got a manager that can you know, instill that kind of mindset in the players. You know, whether it's still too early for them to have absorbed those lessons yet, I don't know. But you know, positive mental attitude, that, that's got to be you know, a significant part of it. Adam, you were uh, still in nappies when Everton last uh, <laughs> saw off Arsenal. So uh, I was still in nappies the last time <laughs> Everton did anything good. Um, <laughs> what, in your, it's a very big question, but what's been Everton's problem at Arsenal? Why have we just never won since '96? I think it's just been a massive mental block that I've seen against probably the, all the top six that you would currently think about now, like. Everton just seem to go into these games and they, I don't know what it is. I think they have too much respect, really, for their opponents whenever they go go to places like this. And I'm not saying we should go in there with absolutely no respect for a team like Arsenal. Obviously, they're a very good team. They've got a wealth of probably world-class players throughout their squad. But it doesn't mean that throughout 90 minutes, Everton haven't got the kind of players that can really punish them. And I think that we too often, especially last season, when you look at that, 
that five one game. We just sat back and let them do whatever they wanted throughout throughout the match. And I think we should really go go with the game plan. A game plan that is completely tailored to Arsenal. Obviously they're gonna have a lot of possession, but I think we should maybe try and I know Marco Silva said at the start of the season he didn't want to be a counter attacking team, but we've got so much pace in attack. Why why not set ourselves up to be that sort of counter attacking team? against a side like Arsenal, who are obviously going to commit so many men forward. I think if if we try and play them at their own game a bit, like Martinez used to do, maybe Moyes probably tried to do throughout the end of his tenure, I think we just get caught out far too much. And giving them that much respect just puts them at the advantage instantly. Yeah. Of course, sorry, Pren, of course, Marco's uh, Olympiacos team played counter-attacking football when they beat them in the Champions mm. League about three, four years ago. A game that Theo Walcott scored in, but didn't remember. I remember. <laughs> anyway, decided to go on for it. No, I was just going to say that that thing about uh, too much respect and is absolutely spot on. I'm delighted you threw Joe Royal's name in a little bit earlier because the team that he put together when he first came to Everton showed nobody any respect. Um, he went to Old Trafford and took a 2 0 lead, and uh, Alex Ferguson gave some really catty comments afterwards about Everton being the new Wimbledon, Everton being Route One football, because he was upset because he got a cob on at the way Everton had disrespected as a as a Man United team. Likewise at Anfield, Joe went there. Joe was never beaten in a derby match uh, because he had this um, attitude that you know, so Everton wouldn't show them respect, and so. It's a fine line. Yeah, you've got to be respectful of the talent that you know teams like Arsenal have, but don't show them too much respect. We're going to allow them to show that talent, get amongst them, you know, so disrupt their play, you know, so try and be not dogs of war, but you know, so try and be belligerent, try and be aggressive. Paul, given the dismal run, what have we got to lose? Nothing at all. I think I think we're all touched on it so far. It's like a mentality for me, you know. I think. Among the fan base, everyone expected that defeat to West Ham last weekend. And I think, to be honest, everyone's expecting a defeat this weekend. And it's almost, I don't know if it seeps into the players. I know we've talked about this as Evertonians in the past about the derby, but I think it extends further than that now. And I think you're right, Phil. I think it's, we've got good attacking players. It's been proven this season already. You can see the change in style and the difference, say, like with Charleston, hopefully a mate this weekend. But yeah, it's it's almost like we've got to try and get away from the past and, and, and not go there thinking we've beaten before we, we are, actually. But unfortunately, I think that's it's going to take a result to change that because I'm not speaking for all supporters, but I imagine a lot of us at this moment in time are going into that game on Sunday thinking, oh, here we go again, another defeat. But I, I don't know how you change that. It'll have to come from the manager, I imagine. Absolutely, big, uh, big sort of onus on what Marco can achieve, and certainly his uh, the man he replaced his mentality uh, last season was to try and borrow tactics from Swansea. Adam, uh, obviously, <laughs> Swansea look, Swansea had beaten Arsenal the previous week three one, and Sam after the game admitted that he was his game plan to try and replicate what they did. It obviously didn't go to plan. We were four nil down down at half time and lost five one. Is there a team that Arsenal have played so far, Adam, and maybe not necessarily have beaten them, obviously they've only, uh, only lost to Chelsea and City. In any mm. of their games, have you sensed a team has got it right against against Arsenal? Preno mentioned uh, a yeah. sort of a physicality maybe, you know, Cardiff ran them. I, I was going to say Cardiff, yeah. Like, you, you, can't, you can't look at the way Cardiff played against Arsenal and think, oh, Everton can't do that. Like, Everton can't press them high up the pitch, force them into a few mistakes. You know, just get the ball into the box. Maybe win a couple of those headers. Like you can't, you can't look at that performance and go, "There is not one man in that Everton squad who cannot cannot do that." Like I know it was a bit away from home, but 
I, I think we just look at these places like the Emirates and Old Trafford as, as these like as these cathedrals that we just can't we can't we can't upset the the natural order inside them, and we we really need to try and bin off that idea. To be honest, I think we should absolutely go all for it. Like as I, as I said before, I think a, a counter attacking style. I don't think anyone's really done that against Arsenal this season. From what I've seen, I'm not I'm, I've not really watched a lot of Arsenal this this campaign so far, but I think to set ourselves up as as much as possible to just hit them on the counter. I think that's that's playing to our strengths and I think that's the way we should go rather than trying to exploit anything in Arsenal. Just play to our strengths, play in the system that we're going to be most comfortable in. I think that's going to be our best way to get a result there. Preno, uh, Marco, last season, obviously we spoke about his Olympiacos team beating Arsenal. Last season, admittedly at Vicarage Road, his Watford team came from behind to beat Arsenal. Uh, and Troy Deeney said afterwards that Arsenal didn't have enough cojones. Yeah. And that was why um, Watford got the victory. And I, I put that to, to Marco earlier, and I'll, I'll, we'll sort of put that out um, across the weekend. But is there some truth in that? Is it, at this stage where Everton are at, is it, is it about physicality rather than trying to play our way to a result? I, I don't know. I mean, it always was, you know, directed towards Arsenal teams in the past under the previous regime that, you know, they lacked a little bit of bottle, if you like. Uh, you know, cold. Nice Stoke was always a place where they, they struggled and Stoke knew that and, you know, so they relished uh, them coming there. But this is a new Arsenal team with a new manager. Um, you know, a lack of cojones should not be an issue when you've got a new manager in the dugout who everyone's desperately trying to impress. I watched them last night in, a, in the Europa League after saying it's a team I genuinely had never heard of before last night. <laughs> and, uh, and if you're thinking that that is like a fringe Arsenal team, you know, they made changes obviously with it being the Europa League and they've got Obama Young, they've got Danny Welbeck. They've got like an absolute wealth of attacking riches. The actual key for me this weekend has got to be Everton's, you know, defending. We're talking about them, you know, hitting Arsenal on the counter. And, you know, so trying to use that pace, which is fine. But for that to be successful, they've got to keep a clean sheet for as long as possible. Now, whether Yerry Mina starts or not, we don't know. But, you know, that could be a new face trying to bed his way in. Uh, Kurt Zuma has settled in, you know, fairly well. But, you know, Mason Holgate had a dreadful game last weekend. So that needs to improve significantly. Because uh, if Everson find themselves a goal down early on, you know, it's just almost like, here we go again. You know, so almost from the off. Uh, so... That's the absolute key for me, you know. So the, the back four, you know, Schneidlin, Stroke, Guy, maybe, you know, so in front, they've got to be compact. They've got to, you know, so try and frustrate Arsenal for as long as possible. Prano neatly segues onto section two of today's Royal Blue podcast, and it's Yeri Mina who is in contention to make his debut. Don't know whether he will start or not. But Paul, um, do you throw the big Colombian straight in at, at Arsenal? If he's fit, yeah, because as Preno said then, Mason Mason Holgate had a really poor game against West Ham. And it, I, it was only when I came out of the game after and I heard on the on the radio at the time, it was a really young defence, wasn't it, against yeah. West Ham? Mm-hmm. And, and even though uh, Lucas Dean, as we're now calling him, is uh, is a bit old, he's still inexperienced in terms of the Premier League. Obviously a very good player, you can tell that already. And I, even though Mina's new to Everton, new to the Premier League, I just think we need like a, a, a dominant presence in there with, with Jags being out and even and Keane being out as well. I don't know if it'll be the cure to all ills, but he's one of the main summer signings. And if he's fit, he's ready. Get him in there. Because I think 
you'd hope he's the player that Marco's going to build the defence around. You'd hope it'll make us a little bit more resilient at set pieces as well. No. I yeah, mean, definitely. yeah, we've all spoken to Kevin Ratcliffe in, uh, in recent weeks about zonal marking, which Everton used very successfully in the 1980s. And he says it's about leaders. It's about, you know, individuals taking responsibility. And, you know, we don't know what Mina's qualities as a leader are like. You know, obviously his, his English is limited, so he's not going to be able to converse with the defence that well. But physically, he looks a leader. He looks a man who can dominate aerial challenges. So, you know, hopefully that will improve certainly that facet of Everson's defending. Are there many concerns about putting a new player straight in um, at somewhere like the Emirates? Because the last time Everton gave a debut to a defender at the Emirates, Mangala played mm. his part in a 5-1 mm. defeat, didn't he? Now, obviously, I'm not comparing Mangala to Yeri Mina because we hope Yeri Mina is significantly better. No, yeah. But is there a time and a place Maybe if you like to bed Mary, uh, Yeri Mina in. Yeah, there is something niggling in the back of my mind that I think Fulham might be the better way to bring him in. You know, with the home crowd behind him, with a team that you probably expected to beat, maybe won't cause us as many problems going forward uh, as a team like Arsenal would. You know, travelling to Arsenal, as we've already mentioned, is all already such a massive task for us. And to bring in a centre back who won't have played since the World Cup. Now, I know he played very well in the World Cup, but coming back from injury, hasn't played since the World Cup. He's had no sort of pre-season behind him. He's only been training for a week. Has he really got the tactical nous to really instantly come in? Has he got the confidence to be able to come in? Well, I'd hope, I hope, I hope he probably would. But has he got the general match fitness to play against Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Alexander Lacazette, who are going to be playing up front, who are both informed strikers at the minute? I don't know. I I have I do have my doubts about it. It it makes it a lot harder considering Mason Holgate's performance. Exactly, like Holgate's performance last week really make, does make this harder because I think that really was a, a poor performance from him. But isn't it sad what happened to Michael Keane? Just thinking, you know, so yeah. he was playing so well, and you know, what well, that's it. Like that was made. that was arguably yeah. probably his best spell. Yeah. As an Everton player, and he was he was turning himself into that you know big presence, you know winning loads headers, especially in that Bournemouth game. So we really could have done with someone like him, and I think probably Mean is the closest that we've got to Keane in terms of that you know big physicality, that big presence at the back. But I don't know, like I I, I think I'd still err on the side of caution, and I'd probably still go with Holgate. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I mean, what we haven't discussed, um, Paul, come to you with this one. Because Michael did use it at Watford, three at the back. <sighs> yeah, well, that, that would be a surprise, wouldn't it? The thing what concerns me, apart from set pieces, which I know you guys have been discussing a lot lately, we just seem really open, you know. And it, even like the Southampton game, they had a couple of counter-attacking opportunities and particularly Bournemouth wasn't like Wilson and King got through a few times. We just seemed really open and it was the same again uh, last weekend against West Ham. So I don't even know if it's uh, whether it's two centre-backs or three centre-backs. For me, obviously, I'd, you'd hope Mina will improve the, the set-piece situation quickly, but I just wonder about the system. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe three will help that. I don't know. But my concern is equally about that, and I don't know whether that's a midfield midfield, you know, poser early. But yeah, possibly. If it, it, it it's funny you should say that because yeah. you know we do a team selector here, and Adam asked me to put one together before we came in here, yeah. and I went for three at the back, 
largely based on the fact that the two were so appalling last week. I just thought <laughs> one more and the extra body in midfield, you know, so it might help out a little bit. Who have you picked in midfield out of interest? Well, but, but the two obvious ones, Schneidlin and Gay with Sigurdsson just like dropped okay. in. But I mean, the forward line was a, an interesting one, should we say? Uh, um, yeah, not, <laughs> we'll keep that secret yeah, until yeah, tomorrow morning. I have to read the paper for that one. But yeah, it's funny... Um, you should talk about three at the back because Jordan Pickford did a sit-down chat with the other Sunday newspapers this week and he was asked about uh, whether he would see that, you know, or be willing to see that introduced at Everton given that England play that way. And, you know, he looks quite secure you know, behind that. And he's quite open to the idea. You know, again, he's, you know, John Joe Kenny and Seamus Coleman, Leighton Baines, Lucas Dean, both, or all four of them, uh, probably better wing-backs than full-backs, you would say. And just the extra man in the middle, you know, so might give that bit more solidity. But yeah, he was quite, uh, quite open to the idea and quite enthusiastic about it. Whether, you know, it'll be introduced tomorrow, who knows? I mean, they'll be in training this week if that was the case. Well, I'd be surprised if you threw it in in a game like that. But, you know, certainly one for the future. Yeah, I think, I think Paul touched on a really good point there, like how open Everton are on the counter-attack. I, th- I do think that is a midfield issue. I think we were seeing it a lot in that West Ham game in particular and, and then in particular that first goal. You know, when Idris Gay loses that ball, he, yeah. ta- he takes out. He takes out our two full-backs who were bombing up the pitch. He essentially takes out Morgan Schneidlin. He's obviously take, taken himself out the game already, and you you just look at a massive, almost square of 40 yards of space in the middle of the Goodison Park pitch for Yarmolenko and Altovic to do whatever they wanted in. But I think. Is that a system, or is that the guys involved in that system <sighs> well, not performing to the best of their abilities? Well, the, I say... You'd have Schneidlin's to say, head was in a different place, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, 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 I feel bad criticising yeah. Schneidlin for that for that game in particular. But and we're not going to now. Yeah, because I, I think yeah. he started the season yeah. quite well. Maybe, yeah. maybe not up to the level that we saw when he first joined, but I think he started the, the season a bit better than Adrissa Gay, I think. Yeah. Gay's, Gay's, when he plays next to Schneidlin, Gay gets asked to play a, a bit more of an attacking role and I just don't think it suits him at all. I don't think he's he, he ever looks comfortable bringing the ball forward, really. I don't think he looks comfortable either trying to take or on shooting a shooting from the edge oh, of the air. I was just going to mention don't, don't, even, don't even start me on that. But, yeah, I I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not sure if they, as a parent, work particularly well together and it's a bit of a shame that Tom Davis hasn't really stepped up to try and grab that position himself because I think he could be perfect in that role that Adrissa Gay is trying to play maybe the, the time will come when he gets his chance and maybe he grabs it maybe Andre Gomez is obviously the answer but I think there is a midfield issue for Marco Silva to try and solve there it's probably a pod in itself but interested to know what your thoughts are how long does Marco Silva privately and, and, and in his own mind because obviously you can't be making drastic changes in January, uh, you know, midway through a season. But how long does he give these players to start showing adequate signs that they're understanding what he wants to do before he goes, you're not good enough? It's difficult to say, really. I mean, Premier League football is a very, very unforgiving environment nowadays and you've got to you know, sink or swim very, very quickly. Um, but, you know, players do take time to absorb, you know, sort of new lessons. Uh, again, Jordan Pickford was talking about the zonal marking debate. And you could tell he's a man-to-man, you know, sort of advocate. You know, he plays that with England. Uh, you know, Sam Allardyce had that last season. But he said, you know, there are pluses and minuses to both systems. And he goes, we'll get it right, he says, but it might take a bit of time just for it to bed in. And we didn't concede to a set piece against West Ham, so to step it's, you know, going in the right direction. 
that's what we're talking sixth match of the season. So I don't know. Marco Silva can't afford uh, to you know give players too much rope, otherwise they'll hang him. You know, you've got to basically give it you know just two or three games. And if you haven't got it on board, then I think that's it. You've got to start you know looking elsewhere. Sounds a little bit drastic, but that's modern football, unfortunately. Paul, any thoughts on that, mate? Yeah, it's just, it's almost like this match and this weekend is almost it's not a knife edge, but you know like. Going into the West Ham game, we all thought it was a. I'd say it was a decent start to the season. Then it looks poor. Now, if we were to lose to to Arsenal, as history suggests, we may. Then it's five games without a win, isn't it? And mm-hmm. just one in six. So, yeah. And then I w- I'm not saying the pressure will come on Silver because I thought the crowd on Sunday were particularly understanding. It was it was quite mm. tetchy at time because we all again we all kind of knew what was coming. A defeat to West Ham, Yarmolenko scoring, everything else. But I, I yeah, I think the players have to do more this weekend for Silver because. I thought they let him down. I thought th- I still have some doubts about the system. I do, as I said earlier, I, I do think we're a bit open, but that that's because the players are learning it. You know, the fullbacks are a lot more attacking this year, aren't they? Which is, which is great to see in a way because we, what we witnessed last season under Sam Allardyce. So you've got to give the the man and the play some leeway. But yeah, I think I think Prenner, what you've said there, is spot on. Really, you know, there's only so long you can accept performances like last Sunday's, and that's why I think Sunday's. It's, it's crucial, maybe if not the result, but mm. maybe the, the performance. It's funny you're talking about those fullbacks bombing on. I mean, we actually saw that a lot under Roberto Martinez, you know, where he had Leighton Baines crossing for Seamus Coleman to score. But the big difference was we had James McCarthy and Gareth Barry in the middle of midfield covering loads of ground and, you know, proper midfield enforcers. And best will in the world, Morgan Schneidlin and Jessica Garnagay aren't playing as well as actually we say at the moment. So I, I would say they're not as good players, you know, full stop, but they're not playing certainly to that level that, you know, so Barry and McCarthy did. No, it's, and again, it's probably another pod in itself, but um, this week's written Royal Blue column is actually on, you know, how can Everton's midfield evolve and whether Guy can actually carry that mm-hmm. that process on because I think we'd all agree that there are doubts that he can actually make the step up from a midfielder who could be part of a team that finishes seventh to a team that finishes yeah. closer to the top four or five. Um Looking further up the pitch, though, the big Brazilian hope, Richarlison, uh, will be back in the starting lineup. We expect um, Adam. He's twenty-one, mm-hmm. and yet the feels already after what two and a bit games have seen him. There's this weight of expectation on his shoulders. Is that it, like almost if he's not playing, everybody panics? Mm. Does that worry you, or are you thinking, well, we've just got ourselves a gem of a player? Let's just go with it. <laughs> I've got to say it is a, a tiny bit concerning. Like at the start of the season, I was looking at the Everton squad, you know, after the transfer window, and I thought, oh yeah, we've got a lot of options across the pitch here. Like we can we can lose someone in a lot of positions and we'll still be all right. We'll still be in quite a good position. But instantly we well, almost instantly we lost Richarlison and it just really didn't feel like we could replace him properly. Like Dominic Calvert Lewin came in and, you know, he he tried his best, but it the best winner in the world. He's really not a winger. Like if he's going to play, he needs to play centrally because, you know, you, you saw when Bernard came on against West Ham, instantly Zavaleta's mindset just changed. He was instantly on the back foot. He was second guessing what the winger was trying to do. And we, we just don't seem to have that when Richarlison's not in the squad. I think I was probably a bit concerned to see how much we have missed Richarlison because, you know, you'd even expect Adam Ola-Luckman to be able to step into that position, but... He's he's been kept on the pit on the uh, on the bench. There must be some sort of reason behind that. He's not exactly ripped up trees whenever he's been brought onto the pitch in general. But you know, it, it, focusing on the positives, I think it's got to be it's got to be a good thing to see Richarlison back. You know, he's obviously not lost any sort of form 
throughout the international break, he scored two on his first ever Brazil start. So he'll be coming into this with a lot of confidence. He'll have a lot to prove after his red cards against Bournemouth. He'll want to try and win win over. That's probably not the right phrase, but like win the affections of the Everton fans back after me after maybe disappointing a few with that red card. So yeah, I think I think it'll it'll be really, really exciting to see him back in that front three, wherever he plays. Preno, I suppose maybe it is the expectation of Richarlison and that feeling about when he's not playing, just similar to when Rom was first at the club as, you know, as a young a young centre forward and how in many ways, toothless we looked when he wasn't playing, I guess. It underlines uh, a fairly significant lack of quality uh, in the front third of the pitch. Richarlison has addressed that to a significant degree. It's been a great signing, regardless of how much he cost. Uh, but it just highlights how there's not much quality elsewhere. Uh, if he's missing, suddenly there's a significant dip. Um, I saw a church... My word, looks like the, the weather's taking a turn for the worse outside. Um, there, there was a chat with uh, Andy Gray last week, and I know Andy Gray divides opinion a little bit, but you know, to me, absolute proper Everton legend. And um, him, whenever you hear him, Peter Reid, any of the old school talk, and they always have this nil satis nisi optimum, you know, creed, and they mean it. You know, Everton has to be the very best. And he says that Cenk Tosin and Umar Nias aren't good enough for a team that wants to be top half of the Premier League, let alone a team that wants to be top six in the Premier League. And I kind of agree with him. Uh, Nias, you know, God love his you know, enthusiasm and his attitude, but his quality is sorely lacking. Uh, Cenk Tosin, after a you know, steady start last season, has just been anonymous this season. And I kind of agree with them. And Richarlison just highlights that for me. When he's not around, you suddenly realise, my word, there's not a great deal else. You know, it's going to create things or make things happen up there. When he's back, great. You know, so, you know, we are starting to see an improvement. Bernard might address that. We've only seen bits of him, but he looked very, very promising when he came on last week. So, you know, hopefully that could address a little bit. You know, some wall cards in front three of them. Who knows what they could do? Uh, but yeah, you know, I think if we're looking at, you know, possible signings in January, I know it's a long time between now and then, but, you know, certainly the front third needs more quality. Paul, if there's if there's one person who needs to bring their performances up to or or closer to the level of Richarlison, who are you looking at to kind of ca- help carry the can and to borrow uh, Ronald Koeman's phrase, um, share the productivity? Well, I, I I say this with a caveat because I'm a big fan of him. I was really impressed with the way he started the season, but it might everyone has their own opinion on on plays and games. But I was really disappointed with Sigerson against West Ham. And it was only when I listened to the Royal Blue on Monday that you guys were discussing that he was actually playing further up the pitch that I thought maybe I'd, I'd criticised him too much. But I just felt on Sunday he's our main playmaker. He's £45 million player. I just didn't think he got on the ball enough for me. It all, it, if it was tactical for him to be so close to Tosin, well, fair enough that he's doing what the manager wants. But I felt there was times where he could just drop into like pockets of space and get the ball and get it off Guy rather than Guy be the one trying to flick a pass through. But again, I'd say I'd, I'd put a caveat to that because I thought first couple of games of the season, particularly Southampton, I thought he looked transformed. Sigurdsson, he, was, he really looked like the player uh, that we all we all hoped we had when he, he came to the club. But yeah, to me, I just want to see a little bit more from him. But but that's because he cost so much and you know, we, we, we took so long to get him and, and wanted him for so long. Absolutely. Just finally, before we uh, end today's podcast, uh, Theo Walker, obviously be remiss to uh, not mention him. Obviously, you returned to the, uh, the Emirates last season, but obviously, hopefully, 
in better circumstances this time. Um, 18 appearances, Prenos, since he signed five goals, handful of assists. Has he been a good signing so far? Yeah, very much so. Uh, I like him a lot. And it's funny, actually, everyone's been talking this week about uh, addressing that you know problem in the forward line by playing Richarlison in a central striking role. Theo Walcott has played there before and played there very, very well. Um, he's a very good finisher. Uh, his pace, you know, we know all about it. Can stretch defences, and he holds the ball up, you know, for a guy of his stature, pretty well too. Um, so that's certainly something not to dismiss. Um, now, I like him. I think it's been a very good signing. I mean, to be fair, you can't really, you know, point the finger too much at the guys that Sam Allardyce brought in. I know he didn't, you know, spend too much in the transfer market, but the ones he did, you know, were, were solid additions to the squad. But Theo Walcott's a bit more than solid. I think he's got a little bit of a uh, little bit of you know class about him. Uh, and obviously, he'll want to make a, a big impact. I, I suspect he'll get a you know a very favourable reception from the Arsenal fans. You know, he didn't leave under a cloud or anything, and I think he'll want to prove a point. Uh, but yeah, to answer the question, delighted with him. I think he's been a good signing. Adam, agree? Oh yeah, completely agree. I think the, th- the most important thing when we signed him was probably his Premier League experience. You know, he's probably was it twelve years he'd been playing in the Premier League at the point that we we signed him. I think the most impressive thing that I've seen is obviously we saw a lot of his pace and finishing ability when we used to watch highlights on Match of the Day or whatever you were watching Arsenal. But I think the thing that gets left out a lot is his defensive guile. You know, like there was one particular moment against Bournemouth where he tracked back 50 yards when they were on a counter-attack from a corner to make a really important tackle. And like it's that kind of his game that I, I'm, I've been really impressed with. And I think he started the season extremely well maybe not against West Ham but nobody really had a good game against West Ham so I think we can essentially write that one off But and of course he got he got stood on oh yeah, yeah. of course <laughs> definitely kerb stomped in, the, in yeah. mid-air yeah. <laughs> which even referees couldn't uh, agree on I saw, I saw one paper said yeah definite red card another paper said no clearly a yellow so work that one out <laughs> Okay, we'll wrap it up there and uh, thank you very much for listening to uh, today's Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer and uh, just a reminder to review, rate and subscribe to us. You can do it through iTunes or the Acast app so all your comments uh, much appreciated as uh, as we wrap up another podcast. We'll be back at the start of next week and hopefully, (laughs) hopefully reflecting on a first win at (laughs) Arsenal since 1996. Thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.